1: To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Hello, I'm Martin Bayfield, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this week's show, Saracens and Scotland legend Jim Hamilton joined us in the studio to look back at a thrilling weekend of European action and dissect the Six Nations squad's announced during the week. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from Brian O'Driscoll, Ben Kaye, Sarah Elgin, and our studio guest.
3: Jim, welcome to rugby tonight. Thank
1: you. A little bit nervous coming through there. I thought the police were going to arrest me <laughs> on, the, on the way through. <laughs> uh,
3: you're all right. He's safe, isn't he, tonight? yeah no. good, For now. Good. For now, yeah. Don't say anything dodgy. Um, a tough game over the weekend at Padca Scarlet. Are you expecting the Scarlet to be as tough as they were?
1: Um, yes. Uh, they've been very good at home uh, all season, really, and especially off the back of us, playing so well and beating them quite comfortably in the game at Allianz early, earlier on. It was a very, very tough game. Still feeling it now, especially on a six-day turnaround for another big game against Toulon on Saturday.
3: Yeah, big
2: old game on Saturday. Yeah, the, the, the bones are probably feeling it a bit. You've, um, you've <laughs> taken on a bit more of a workload than maybe you were expecting. Mara Toje, George Cruz keep getting injured and you have stepped in. How many games were you, you told you'd be playing?
1: Um, I, I heard there was going to be a little bit of rotation. And I think in rotation, I think that might have meant I was on the bench, and maybe for what was perceived of the, the smaller games, I might have come in and played. Um, but through George and a little bit Marrows' misfortune this season with injury, I've come in and and been a big part of uh, a lot of the games, or well, nearly all of the games. Um, <laughs>
3: <laughs> What's different about Sarries? You know, because you've obviously been to a few clubs. What is it about Saracens that have made them so su- successful?
1: Um, I think it's, it, it, it's a few things. I've been very, very lucky. In my three, this is my third season now to have won the Premiership in my first year and then gone on to won, win the double last year, which was fantastic. And I think that you look at Saracens, they talk about the story over the last six or seven years. It's a culture that's been building. a success that's been in the making for a good few years. And I think now you'll start to see the fruits of the, the initial model that was probably put in there by Brendan Venter and a lot of the kind of older players uh, gone by. And I think what you're seeing now with Saracens is potentially um, a successful few years to come because of the academy players that have now come through. You, you, I can't name all of the players, but you look straight from Mako Volopola at Luce at, at, at number one all the way down to Alex Goode. These guys are homegrown, academy-grown players, and the succession of quality players that are now coming in and playing in big games week in, week out um, just shows, really, uh, the, the quality of players that they've got and they've gone on to play for England and the pressures and the successes that they're gaining with that they're bringing back. Um, it's not just one thing quality of coaching and yeah it's a very very special club to be at
2: a lot, lot of young players obviously there's, there's a uh, there's an environment that they like to to involve themselves in live in um, and the older players maybe as well just like to spend a bit of time with each other just driving around <laughs> singing songs <laughs>
1: you're we've, talking, we've you're... got
2: this week this is a beautiful moment okay um here we go just you and <laughs> kelly
1: brown oh my word <laughs>
3: My favourite.
1: Yeah, we were, we were forced to do this.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Your lungs are burning there. Yeah, they are, yeah. They are burning. Yeah. Really? Kelly can sing as well. Yeah. He, he has got a great. Kelly Brown has got a great singing voice. He, he has, yes. Uh, Absolutely. So have, you yes, so have you? So have I. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> slightly <laughs> embarrassing. We are serious sometimes. Genu- genuinely, on the way to training, we, we do take it seriously. I enjoyed sure that. There. It yeah. could be like
3: a regular fixture on exactly. the
1: show. And that was in my Ford Mondeo, so that was... I got a little bit of stick for driving around in a Ford Mondeo. Not that there's anything wrong with a Ford Mondeo, but... <laughs> no, other cars well, are available. Yeah, other you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Well, at least so. the
2: front half's a Ford Mondeo. It's <laughs> fine, yeah. Yeah. No, don't worry about Exactly.
3: That. Um, OK, let's move um, on to a bit of Six Nation talk things. Obviously, Scotland announced their team today. Yeah. Um, I take you've seen the squads?
1: Yeah, I've not. I've seen a couple of the players that I, I actually haven't recognised. I didn't recognise their names, which is always interesting.
3: Yeah, and I <laughs> I guess that's my, that's my point, because for the first time, maybe like this year and last year, actually, for the first time in a while, that there's strength and depth now, and there are real numbers that they've got to compla- uh, pick from.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, you obviously, we all saw what Hugh Jones did in the autumn. No one had heard of, him, heard of him unless you followed the Super 15. And I think like now, like you said, we've got strength and depth. Uh, the quality in which Glasgow are playing at, um, the, the leaders in the team, guys like Johnny Gray and Finn Russell have had more and more experience at a successful club um, and yeah, the strength of definitely obviously losing WP now uh, mm. earlier in the season and Xander Faggerson coming in at 21 years of age and being so successful, successful at Tighthead so I don't want to chance my arm in saying that it could be Scotland's year I, I don't potentially think it is but I think there's definitely success for them in the, in the near future mm.
2: So weird situation is because Vern Cotter is going to be stepping down as Scotland coach at the end of this season for, for Gregor Teilsend to take over for the summer tour but um, Ben is still very much the man in charge. This is what he had to say a little while ago.
4: Probably a little bit bigger, the squad. A few, uh, few centres, you'll notice that um, Hugh Jones is in there. Matt Scott's made his, made his way back in, which means that um, you know, some players can play several positions. Hugh Jones can play fullback, for example. So it gives us, gives us a few options with this number of players.
2: Um, you mentioned WP now. you saying he's out. He's in the squad. If he doesn't play, how much of a blow is that to Scott?
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, it is a, Blow is a good player, a very good player, who's obviously come through the resident, residency system. He's done a fantastic job at Edinburgh. But a young lad like Xander Faggerson, having come through the whole Scottish Academy, 21 years old, which is a very young age to be playing tighthead prop, um, just bows well for the future. But WP now it is a big loss because you need strength and depth. Front rows now generally last 50, 50 minutes, 60 minutes if they're very, very fit. So the bench that's actually coming on to succeed them on the pitch are generally just as important as the guys that, that, that then leave.
4: It's a big loss for him as well, because you know we've, we've all been saying uh, that Nell was pretty nailed on for a Lions Tour place and, and maybe even Tess. So to not get that opportunity in the shot window, it would be huge for him, particularly with Tab Furlong coming through and, and uh, Dan Cole obviously sort of perennially there he would want to be in the shot window and
3: another one who's probably got a bit of an eye on, on that lion's jersey brian is Finn russell i mean how crucial is he going to be um, to scotland this tournament? yeah he's obviously
0: going to be vital i think scotland will fancy ireland in the first game you know catch them a little bit cold not having played since november Um historically scotland are always very very tough in murrayfield but I just love the way Finn Russell is, is marshalling his um, Glasgow around in the European Cup and in the Pro 12. And if he does the same in, um, in Six Nations, you know, there'll be a force to be reckoned with. And he is probably not an outside bet for a line spot, but... You you know, would imagine he could be an excellent tourist. He mightn't be a test player, but he could be a brilliant guy to guide the midweek team. So, yeah, keep your eye on the Six Nations with him.
3: Let's talk Wales, then, shall we? So nice to talk about Wales when Austin isn't here. <laughs> it's, it's I said lovely. So nice like to it's... do anything when Austin isn't here. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, Benny, um, so Rob Howley um, announced the team uh, this week. Seven uncapped players. and I think there's a lot of excitement around this squad because... Just in terms of Rob I being think, a bit conservative,
4: I think Rob Howley got a bit of stick, didn't he, yeah, he did. after the autumn internationals? Um, partly because of you know, Wales' style of play, but also maybe not blooding some of the youngsters um, when he had the opportunity in, in the autumn. So to actually have seven new guys come into the squad is, is big. Um, Whether how many of them will get an opportunity or not depends on injuries. Owen Williams from the Premiership, obviously uh, a call-up for him is big news. Um, uh, Thomas Young as well, we've all been championing his case. I'm not sure either of those will feature early on. Um, I think Thomas Young could well do if Warburton uh, or Tipperick got an injury, he could come in. But I think probably Moriarty's looking at the six or Tipperick uh, if... Um, everyone's fit um, but he, you know, injuries he could well come into it and he would do a great job for them he's been the form 7 in the premiership uh, where I think maybe early on we could see one of them is, is uh, one of the two wings that have come in um, Ashton Hewitt and um, Stefan Evans co- coming in uh, just with George North's sort of injury problems and, and It's not quite seemed to fit as well as it did a couple of years ago for Wales. I just wonder whether they might sprinkle a bit of uh, new blood into that uh, back three.
3: Yeah, especially if they want to kind of play an expansive game, which I think they they want to do. The (laughs) other
4: significant thing, Brian, of course, is the change of the
2: captaincy. Alan Wynne-Jones now captaining instead of Sam Warden. Clearly a very capable captain, but how is that going to change the dynamic of the Welsh team and maybe, as Ben was saying, the selection in the back row?
0: Yeah, I think it throws it up for grabs. I think they're probably... Looking for the same reaction that the, uh, that Eng, uh, a similar reaction that England got from Chris Robshaw when the captaincy was taken away from him. He probably had one of his more influential years in a in a in a white jersey. After that, it took the pressure off. He didn't lead them need to lead them. He was able to focus on his own game. For me, Alan Wynne-Jones is a front-runner for the Lions captaincy. He's been captain of Wales before. Uh, he's captain of the Ospreys. He's a class leader, a guy that everyone respects because of the way he plays uh, and the way he, he wants you to follow, but also the way he speaks. Uh, so he, I, I think it'll be a pretty seamless transition. Uh, and looking at the form books, you have, to, you have to think that Tipperwick is going to be the, uh, the starting seven. So whether Orton s- slips over to the blind side, we'll have to wait and see.
2: Yeah, and obviously, front-runner as Alliance captain, Alan Wynne-Jones. What about the Ireland squad, Brian? It it won't be announced yet, but... Are you expecting any surprises? Anyone that you would really want to see in that squad that maybe hasn't been there yet?
0: Yeah, there's a few guys. Obviously, the, you know, the, the, the standard players, you, you would anticipate the, the big names. But there's a few guys, particularly with the injury to Sean Cronin and the way that Munster are playing, the front row are playing. Niall Scannell, uh, who hasn't been capped yet. You'd have to imagine uh, that he'll be in the mix. Uh, Jack Conan's had a, huge, uh, had a huge performance last week for Leinster. Uh, again, a very competitive back row. He's probably sixth or seventh down the pecking order. But with a couple of injuries, he could easily find his way in. And even up north, even though Ulster have probably flattered to deceive and aren't going to be uh, uh, continuing in the European competition into the quarterfinals, I think Stuart McCluskey has really put his hand back up again. Um, He he didn't feature in the Summer Tour, he didn't feature in November, but he's put in some really big performances. So Joe Schmidt has to sit up and pay attention
2: to that. Yeah, and he'll be announcing that squad on Sunday. The England squad will be announced on Friday we'll be de- we'll be chatting that through in the build up to the Montpellier Northampton game Austin Neale and David Flatman are my guests in the studio for that one okay let's start taking a look back at the weekend's round 5 Champions Cup matches and we start with pool one.
3: Munster, 20 points, already qualified with a round remaining. It's just like the old times, isn't it? Munster back on the European scene. And maybe what's not as familiar is Glasgow in second, just behind them on 14. They will head to Leicester this weekend, knowing that a win would uh, get them a quarter-final for the first time.
2: Yeah, and a big, big season for Munster. A huge story around them, obviously. Um, Rassing at the bottom. Interesting tweet from Ronan O'Gara, <laughs> coach at Rassing. Well done, at Munster Rugby and its supporters. 16th time the club has qualified for the knockout stage. Incredible consistency. Hashtag we are all proud. Brian O'Driscoll, is that the tweet of a homesick man? <laughs> Do you think he's trying to keep his hand in with them? I think he might be. <laughs> you cynic. <laughs> the
4: old cynic.
0: Yeah, it's the old... I'm, I know I'm over in France. and Yes, Rossinger are my team, but they're really my team. <laughs> um, now it's inevitable that at some stage, Rog will come back. Um, he's playing his trade. I think he's been smart going over and, and learning away from Munster. Um, and obviously they're, they're going great guns and he's still a, a, a fond follower of them. They're his second team, allegedly. <laughs> so that's not so great when they're in their group. But um, yeah. listen, Munster are playing incredible stuff at the moment. They've got that buzz back um, in Thomond Park, but it's their performances on the road that have been really impressive. Big uh, wins in Racing, uh, very close in... Uh, in Leicester, and then obviously a big win last weekend in Glasgow. So, yeah, they'll be looking for a home quarter final. Um, no team would want to go to Thomond Park uh, the way it's roaring again.
3: You know, they're, they're still playing for Axel. That, that's evident, you know, in the passion that they, that they play every week. But it's it's about. Even more than that, I think, isn't it, this year for them? Because there are elements of their game that have just, you know, like defence, for example. The defence have been phenomenal this season.
0: Yeah, Jacques Niebuhr was brought in by Rossi Erasmus. Um, I think it's a combination of the two things. I think, yes, the Anthony Foley untimely death um, was the spur in their season to get them going. But I think it's a lot more than that. I think all the work that's gone on in pre-season is starting to come to fruition. Um, their leaders are ste- have stepped up to the plate. Uh, in an area that I thought they had a perceived weakness where I-, I thought at the start of the season there's no way with the front five like they have whether they can win the European Cup now it seems to be their strength. Their front row uh, is going to be pushing hard for Irish honours. Donika Ryan looks like a man possessed. Billy Holland got captain in November. So I think they're in great shape if they can keep uh, key individuals fit. I think Connor Murray is still a massive uh, performer for them. Tyler Bladendahl has been huge for them as well. So they're ticking along really nicely. They're trying to, they always try and slip under the radar, uh, but they're back to the Munster way and they're going to be a bloody hard team to beat in this competition.
2: Mention that Connor Murray, this is a, a season of, of focus on two big areas: the new tackle regulations and the concussion protocols. Question marks over treatment of Conor Murray in that game um, against Glasgow, and some people drawing parallels. Ben, with the George North uh, situation, it's not the same, is it?
4: It's harder to read because he's involved in the tackle and rolls with the tackler. Whether he's knocked out or not, you can see his arm still moving. will be very difficult for the uh, physios pitch side to make that call. Let's have a listen to the referee.
1: From the side for
4: KHA number nine. Is 100% perfect use of the new protocols that have come in because the decision wasn't made by the physios on the field because they didn't see it and a message has been passed on. Now, whether that's come from the medics or whether that's come from the TMO, I don't care. We were, never gonna, we were never trying to solve this problem in one go. We were just trying to make it better and as safe as possible. We couldn't have an instant answer straight away. And I think some people took it that way when, when it was announced and said, oh, right, we've had a couple of people knocked out and nothing's been done about it until it's too late. There, they've got it absolutely spot on. As soon as they've realised, they've come on, dragged the player off, and that is showing that actually the system is getting better. And each time we have a failure like we did with the George North incident, it has a knock-on effect down the line and makes our game safer.
3: Jim's Good. all very well Les, sitting here and, and talking about the new protocols. I want to hear from, from, from current players. I mean, what, do you, what do you make of them?
1: Yeah, it's a very tough one, isn't it? Because as a player, you're very competitive. You always want to stay on the field. And there are times in a game where you take big hits and um, you've not been concussed, you might be slightly dazed. And I think you look at, look at Conor Murray there, was he knocked out? We don't know, only he knows that. It obviously wasn't as bad as George North's. Sometimes, as a player, you want the decision taken out of your hands. So, therefore, if there's any doubt that you've been concussed, or you've got to think the, adrenaline, the adrenaline's going in the game, you know, you've got the crowd on your back, but because it's so current and because we are in the early stages of these things, I think medics now need to take it out of the players' control. They're, they've obviously got the iPad there, that they're looking, they've, they've got access to all these things. They've got doctors' pitch size, they've got physios in all corners of the, uh, around the pitch now. Um, it is a very difficult one, but it, I, I think it's good that it's high profile. It needs to be. It needs to be for the good of the game.
2: Yeah, and it's good that it's low profile that we're talking about it. So people praise when they get it right, can't hide when they get it wrong. Um, Big win for Munster. The opportunity is still there for Glasgow. They may view that loss to Munster as a missed opportunity. Still very much in the hunt. We could talk about their prospects. It would be much better if we could talk to their head coach, Gregor Townsend. And look at that, Gregor Townsend. For the first (laughs) time, we have someone on Skype who has a picture on the wall behind them. That is a huge, hugely reassuring. Uh, Gregor, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Um, What's the feeling amongst Glasgow? Are are you still champing and, and... Nashing your teeth—it's a missed opportunity, or does it spur you on to greater things against Leicester?
5: Well, the, the players were very disappointed after the game. It was a, a really physical, intense game. Uh, we put a huge amount of effort into the game, like, like Munster. So to not get the reward from that effort—the um, rewards of a win and also a quarter-final place—was disappointing. But uh, we, we bounced back really well. We parts of the game we played played really well. There was some areas that we have to improve. But I've been really pleased with how we framed trained this week. Um, the players are fit, full of energy and looking forward to the game at Wellford Road.
2: When the, when the pool was drawn, we saw, you would have seen clearly that you're in a pool with two former champions, runners-up from last season. A lot of people would have thought, well, that's Glasgow. They're going to put up a fight. They're going to be tricky at Scottsdale, but they're not going to qualify out of this group. It's now highly realistic you will qualify out. When you saw that, pool, did you think, yeah, we can do this? We've got the right squad, we've got the right mentality?
5: Yeah, I think we, we saw the challenge. Um, the, the fact that we're going to play Racing, who we played last year, uh, home and away, we knew them. We know what, what a great team they are. To play Munster in Europe was going to be something new for us. We, we play them regularly, but never in the Champions Cup. Uh, and Leicester is a, it was always... a. A fixture we look forward to We, As a club, we played them, I think, about 20 years ago. But to, to take them on, to take them on at Welford Road was something where we thought, yeah, this will be a very tough group. But um, we believe in our squad. And at least we thought that the teams would beat each other in our group, um, which wasn't the case uh, so much with, with Racing. Um, and we, we've seen also how Leicester have played much better at home than away from home and how this will be a big test for us on Saturday.
3: Is there a better time to go to Welford Road, given their form at the moment? Or, or is this actually a pretty bad time, given their, their hammering out in, in Paris on the weekend?
5: We'll, we'll see. Sorry, my lights are gone off. I <laughs> <laughs> computers aside,
2: but... at his best. <laughs> yeah.
5: uh, I will see. that Leicester have got a great home record in Europe. Um, and that's evidence this year. That one of the only teams to have beaten Munster over the last few months. Uh, they've got a lot of pride when they play at home. We'll see a reaction to to their defeat last week um, and they will really take us on. They, they'll obviously have memories of their defeat up in Glasgow a couple of months ago. But we, we're excited. Uh, we, we know we've got an opportunity. If we win, we qualify for the first time into the quarterfinals and the players are really excited about this game.
2: Let's have a look at Pool 2 and try and explain what's happening there. Connacht are currently on top with 18 points, but they're away to lose next week. Wasp is just behind them on 17. They're going to play Zebra, one of our live games, next week. So away, obviously, Italy. so it's likely they're going to pick up five points. That takes them to 22. Toulouse aren't out of it. They're on 14 points, so that game against Connacht is absolutely vital. If they win that by and get four points, it would mean they would be on 18 points with Connacht. So, who would win it? Well, it would be Toulouse who would win that because it comes down to league points that they've earned in matches against each other. At the moment, it's 4-1 to Connacht. Toulouse win, would we'll make it 5-4. Toulouse go through. Time for a deep breath, Sarah.
3: Oh. Thank you very much. That was beautifully explained. Yeah, well done, Martin Bayfield. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the Wasps game then and, and specifically, Benny, about um, Cipriani's yellow card. Um, you had a tweet, didn't you?
4: Yeah, someone tweeted me. <laughs> saying, Call you an expert. Uh, <laughs> Good to know your view on this penalty try and yellow card as them expert. I'm not sure I am, but poor ref decision in my opinion. And actually think? quite that reflected quite a lot of people's opinions on Twitter.
3: Okay, Let's move on to pool three then, shall we? And here are how the team stand after round five. Saracens have now qualified on 20 points. This is what we know. Toulon on 15 points. Um, and the two sides will meet, of course, Saturday at the Allianz. We'll be covering that live game on BT Sport 2. So Saracens will be looking to confirm a home quarterfinal. Toulon, I guess just want to get into the quarterfinals. And in recent weeks, Saracens have been pretty uh, difficult to beat at home, haven't they? OK, so I didn't explain that. Babe's explained that at the other pool. Much, much simpler than I explained that. So props to you there, Babes. OK. Um, now, there were a few eyebrows raised, of course, when the news broke a few days after Richard Cocker was released by Leicester Tigers that he'd taken up a consultancy role with the 3 times European champions, Toulon, working with other, A and other, previous uh, premiership head to Mike Ford.
2: So you've known Richard Cockle for a long, long time. Um, for however long they have him, Toulon have got a good man, haven't
1: they? They have, and it is weird seeing him in Toulon, Kit. And let's hope that yeah. he, you know, he doesn't stay in France too long, because we'll miss him in the Premiership, I think everyone will say that. But what a fantastic addition to a world-class team, with world-class individuals who can do things that a lot of other players can't. I think what Toulon and a lot of the French teams have lacked is a bit of cohesion, is a little bit of structure, and Cockers is Mr Structure and Mr Cohesion. So it's a scary prospect for us at the weekend playing against Toulon with Cockers there ne- next to Mike Ford. so fantastic addition to toulon and i think personally a huge loss for leicester
2: he's also mr snarl and mr shout and mr bite and he can do that all in french <laughs> which is probably entirely what they need now we've got a taste of it we've got so much good stuff from richard Cocker. we've decided to give it a program entirely of its own sport in focus cockers a tiger in toulon that's on good Friday. Title. great title <laughs> at 10 o'clock on bt sport Two. Uh, ben Bryant, you are going to be looking ahead to this uh, big clash between saracens and toulon talk us through
4: yeah well we've got our uh, usual coaching thing and we decided who was going to take which team obviously brian has the better skin tone to work down in toulon so he's (laughs) going to take the toulon team i'm going to take saracens and if we look at saracens game plan actually it's all about opportunities and also concerns that saracens might have so the opportunities first switchback plays with the outside arc. Saracens are so good at this, dragging a team to the touchline, coming back to the middle, and then we see the likes of Owen Farrell coming back round the corner with that outside arc break. And I think Toulon are a little bit slow in reorganizing on that, on that blind side. So big opportunity there. Another opportunity is the centers. Now the centers for Toulon are a massive strength, but they have weaknesses, particularly Bastereau, and chipping over the top of them when the sweeper is held or in the defensive line is a big option. One other thing is to drag the opposition all the way to the touchline and then come back into the midfield. And if you come there, you'll find the front five forwards and some of them don't like footwork. If you can isolate them, open up the spaces between them and get the best runners running with footwork down there, there are opportunities. After that, offload through the same channel because they're not particularly good at closing that gap. Let's look at defensively and uh, some of the things we have to be careful of. Richard Cockrell, they're going to be a much better breakdown side with him coming in. You have to choose when you go into a breakdown. There's still an opportunity. They might be so wanting to please Richard Cockrell that they overcommit to the first breakdown. Saracens can then attack the second one with numbers and win the ball, but just making sure that their mindset at breakdown will have changed. This is the massive one for me. Stop the momentum of 12 and 13, and then they will pick and go. They will pick and go through the middle after they've got it. Let's have a little look about what I'm talking about. So, Saracen's defense, pretty good. Defensive gain line success is 56%. That's fairly high. Dominant tackles are pretty good. But let's have a look at their two main carriers. Both of them's gain line success, 61%. That's big. Ma Nanu. 20 is about for dominant collisions, 20 is about uh, the average, um, and anything above that is pretty good. So 24 is pretty good. Have a look at this stat. Bastereau, 55% of his carries, he wins the collision uh, battle. So that is something that Saracens are going to have to attack. Marcello Boss, they're without Barrett, so they're going to have to rely on Tomkins in midfield doing his job, but you have to cut them early and stop them getting over the gain line. And finally, you can't throw the kitchen sink at that because Ma Nonu has a short game that is absolutely fantastic. Both his short kicking game, but also his ball uh, over the top. And if Saracens defend how they often do with the outside center channel flying up from the wing on an on a out to win, then Manonu, Nonu, if you don't get to him and stop the ball, he has got the passing game to go over the top of you. And when you've got the likes of over on the wing, it's a huge threat. So, yes, they have to stop the momentum of 12 and 13, but equally, they have to make sure they stop the ball because mar has the has the skills to get it out wide.
0: He certainly does. It's interesting hearing you talking a lot about Toulon. For me, really good teams don't have to focus on the opposition that much. They're able to concentrate on their own game, and if they implement it well, well then no one can live with them. And definitely, Toulon are in, are in that category. Just... One of the things that you touched on, breakdown efficiency, and yes, um, now that Richard Cockrell's there, it'll improve, but he's only there a week. So, you know, whether it's gonna improve from sale, we'll have to wait and see, but it's gonna have to be a little bit better than that. Now, 94% of anything would appear to be really impressive. It's the third worst, Montpellier and Leicester, the only two sides that are worse. That works out of four and a half uh, rooks lost in a game. It's very hard to get any level of momentum when you're learning, uh, losing ball and turning ball over. That leads me on to 17 turnovers a game. That is astronomical. To get continuity, to get into a game in any shape or form, you cannot turn that ball over. Uh, And then it leads me to to the Guido influence. So he came on with five minutes into the second half of the weekend. And what this guy does, he gives a certainty uh, to his team and he gives a direction. If you look over the last number of years, he's been there five seasons. Whatever about those stats, look at those two. With ghetto 75% success rate, without ghetto, 54%. That says it all. Whether he's playing 10 or 12, this guy is pivotal to their success.
2: Let's have a look at pool four and try and work out what may or may not happen there. Leinster qualified. They're through, they'll want a home uh, home tie, of course. Montpellier still very much in the hunt. They can set a target of 15, which will probably be a bit too low. They'll be looking for 16. They're the first game of the weekend, so they will set that runners-up target with victory over the Northampton Saints. But it really is Leinster, uh, which are the out-and-out trendsetters, pace-setters in that group, and possibly, Brian, in the whole of the Champions Cup. What a turnaround from last season, where they only won one of their pool games. How impressed are you with how they've turned things around?
0: Yeah, really impressed. I think Stuart Lancaster coming in has been a great signing for them. Um, I think it was a bit of a blip uh, rather than, um, than the norm last year you know they've qualified more often than not uh, it's but it's the manner in which they're playing the style the offloading game scoring a lot of tries uh, and again it'll be about home quarterfinals will be the focus this weekend um, it's just a huge difference being seeded one to four and rather than five to eight so uh, they'll be earmarking that as, as a must do going into the quarterfinal in, in April.
3: Jim, obviously, Stuart Lancaster has gone into Leinster and he's done some great things and and he's obviously had a real impact. But I guess that's often the case, isn't it? Sometimes it just takes a different voice to to transform a a team's form, if you like.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think one of his first games in there, they got beat by 50, I think, Mm -hmm. um, and everyone was slightly worried for him. I've never worked with Stuart, but I've heard he's he's a great technical coach. And like Brian said, it does take a while for for things to click. And I think now him and Leo Cullen, who's obviously done a fantastic job there for Leinster, and they're starting to build something which Mm -hmm. is really sustainable and, and, and yeah they're playing some really good stuff and defensively as well which obviously Stuart's implemented into the team
2: Ben um, Montpellier take on Northampton Saints without Francois Steyn not too many arguments over the red card he picked up Saints they're looking to pick things up Montpellier can still qualify how do you see that one going?
4: I can't think that Saints will go into this game thinking they can take it easily because the LV Cup is slightly different. If you want to rest players, sorry, not the LV, that's the, the 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 cup competition now, um, is slightly different. Uh, you can use that to blood some younger players, but when you've had a poor run in the season and you're starting to get that confidence back, every time you go out against top opposition, you have to put your best team out, particularly you know, uh, uh, and really sort of keep that wave going because as soon as you start saying that you're throwing, not throwing games, but not putting your best team out. Those bad habits that were there when you were losing creep back.
2: Yeah, and some of the the big names for Northampton, Tamana Harrison. Um, Tom Laws. Wood, Courtney Laws, they're really putting in big performances now. Now might be the time to make a phone call for some uh, some good car insurance or house insurance. Now, you mentioned a former sponsor yeah. for the Anglo Welsh game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving Too on.
3: Um, let's have a look at Pool 5 then, how that stands um, at the moment. And Claremont have obviously qualified. Look at it there. They've obviously qualified with 21 points. Um, and Exeter, well, they're on 11 points, and I guess they need another mathematical miracle to go through. But they had one last uh, season. Um, they've also got to beat Claremont over there with a bonus point. We can see if they do or uh, don't on BT Sport 2 this weekend, um, live with us. Um, so yeah. (sighs) Exeter, let's talk Exeter then, because obviously they're hitting some great form in the premiership, they had a great game at the weekend, but um, and that's great for them, but they must be so frustrated that, that it's now, it's all kicked in and it's all clicked.
4: Yes, they will be, but at least it has clicked. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's difficult, Europe's such a funny competition because you do badly in the first two rounds, it's almost impossible exactly. to get through. Um, you know, we have seen it, and, and we saw it with Exeter uh, last year, but um, yeah, you. For them now, again, it's about the quality of the performance and keeping that going. Because actually, when they get back to the Premiership, they'll be the, one of the feared teams, uh, probably you know the form feared side at the moment. And they seem to have a lot of their injuries back now, which, you know, speaking to Jim, Saracens have lost a lot of theirs. Tigers have got a lot of injuries. You know, This is the time of year when you start to get that creeping back in and it affects
1: you.
3: But Jim, getting a bonus point winning Claremont is kind of easier said than done, really, isn't it? <laughs> Cause easy, that's what they need.
1: Not an easy place to go, but I mean, Exeter... <laughs> can pull it out the bag. They've, uh, As Ben said, they've come into a little bit of form, but one of the most difficult places to go and play is out there. Right. So well, well
2: if they're going to do it, they're going to have to surpass the miracles of last season. Let's have a look and see how things stand at the moment for the teams that can qualify for the top eight, get through to the quarter-finals. Just to let you know, this is what Exeter would have to do. They'd have to beat Clermont. And hope for two of these to happen. Glasgow to lose without a bonus point. Montpellier and or Castro don't finish on 15 points, have a better points difference. line pointless against Saracens and Exeter overturn a bigger points difference. If they can manage all that, they're through the quarterfinals. Easy. Re- realistically, Brian, <laughs> when we look at that, it's, it, we're, you're clearly hoping Leinster to get, a, get a, a home quarterfinal place. It's fine tuning now. There are a few people who can sneak up? Who do you think is going to sneak into those other four places?
0: I suppose from an Irish perspective, we'd be very hopeful that Connacht could get in there. They're going to need to get at least a losing bonus point uh, while denying Toulouse, a uh, fo- uh, try bonus They can't go in with that mentality. They've got to go to win the game. Um, and they've done it before. They did it three or four years ago that no-one knows about.
2: Uh, so, yeah, fingers crossed for them. Good stuff. thanks for listening to the rugby tonight podcast we'll be back again next week see you then